I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just looking over the hall, can't help but notice there's a woman dressed as a television. Her hat is in fact a television. You're listening to Text Message with me, Nate Langson. And I... I'm Ian Morris. You are indeed. What a wonderful way of saying your own name. I just could. I, I, felt, I felt like a change. Every yeah. week it's the same. Well, I appreciate it like a gift. And in the beginning, a little gift for you, dear listeners. That is a sample from a feature coming later in the show. A bit of something a little different this week. Still got a bit of a tech angle, but also a wider cultural angle as well. I went to Hyper Japan and tried to find what was the most techie and what was the most unusual geeky things that I could lay my hands and eyes upon. And my God, did I spend three hours with eyes and hands all over some interesting things. We'll be getting to that later in the show. But first, we're starting, of course, with the major news of the week, which broke very early hours on Monday morning, but we're still going to cover it, which was the sale or the proposed sale of Arm to the Japanese company SoftBank. Bit of a recap on what ARM is, because it is often a little bit misconstrued in the commentary that we see online. ARM is a company that designs the some of the core bits of processing technology that go into things like phones, Internet of Things devices, tablets. Basically, every smartphone or almost almost every smartphone on the planet, I think it's over 95%, they have ARM technology inside them. Apple licenses their designs, Qualcomm, Samsung, you name a major company, they are almost certainly a client of ARM. And they they basically, they don't make chips, they design the core part of, of what makes, say, a central processing unit in a phone. They design it, other companies license it, and then those companies go out and make somebody manufacture them. And it's something that they're very, very good at, hence the 95% penetration across the smartphone world. And they're based here in the UK, in Cambridge, and they employ about 4,000 people. SoftBank is a giant Japanese internet company that has been involved in a whole load of things from phone networks. They bought the US network uh, Sprint. They own Supercell, which is the game co- the company that makes Clash of Clans, for example. Oh, wow. Well, that's where all their money comes from then, presumably. Well, they've sold a bunch of stuff to raise some capital, and they've recently had a, a big corporate changeover at the very, very top. And the, the guy in charge who's been back in the hot seat for a couple of weeks, he's basically made this deal happen in a fortnight. You know, from the first conversation to it basically being announced, it was only a matter of two or three weeks because everybody on board thought, this is a fantastic deal. What a great deal. Our local governments here have said, this is a, you know, this is great. We've said we're open for business and here we are doing fantastic business. Others on the other side of the argument have said, why are you cheering the fact that one of our, and they keep using the term crown jewels, one of the crown jewels, if not the crown jewel in the British tech crown is being sold off to a Japanese company in what is pretty much the biggest Asian takeover of a European company ever. 
um, why are we cheering this? We're, we're losing it. And then the counter argument to that is it's for about $32 billion or £24.3 billion that will enable them to continue running autonomously and to invest in the next big thing, which is IoT, Internet of Things. And that's why SoftBank is so interested because they own mobile networks. Internet of Things is going to be key to mobile networks, uh, their expansion in the future. And that seems to make a good deal for both companies. Now, Ian, on that debate of is this a good thing for to have happened to the UK or is it less so, where do you stand on this and what's your take on this news? I would be lying if I said I thought it was, wasn't was opportunistic. And, I, like you know, I made the joke at the start. It is obviously a weakened pound has made this a much more attractive opportunity. It may, may be that it would have happened anyway, uh, but it obviously wasn't the case. It wasn't on the cards before... Um, we left or voted to leave the European Union, and so therefore it, it stands to reason that this is a has a, has had an impact on it. Well, you could actually look at it in another way and say that I mean, most of Arm's business because their clients are all US or Asia, like most of their deals are done in dollars. Their stock went up by 15% because of Brexit, one of the only companies in the UK to go up as a result of Brexit. So technically, the deal cost them more than it would have done beforehand. That doesn't really change my fundamental feeling that I don't like outside companies buying British firms because I don't see why British firms can't continue to be run by British people. I, I mean, you know, maybe that's a bit inward looking and perhaps it's not how modern business works, but maybe we've got the right idea. Maybe selling things is the best thing. Maybe there comes a point where you can't take it any further on your own and you need extra investment. But with that said, I, I kind of feel like Arm is a very specifically British company that did something quite wonderful and leveraged a lot of that very, uh, you know, super talent that you get from Cambridge because obviously it's got a prestigious university and I'm, the same reason Microsoft Research is based there. You know, you have a pool of people who are incredibly clever um, and, you know, a lot of money changes hands. Those those guys working in those teams earn real real money um yeah. and and they do that because they're the brightest minds in the world now to to me i would worry that we will start to see those minds leave the country because in a modern world you know if, if a company wants to sponsor you to move to the us or any other country it's not difficult um you know and if you are in a leader in your field then it, those offers all come quickly but when someone leaves the country they you know they may well not come back and that means we're you know we're one brain down and softbank has said on the record and obviously plans change but they've said it initially to quell investor like worries that they're going to double headcount over the next 5 years or so but i think that overall this is from what's been said so far i actually think this is good for arm and the reason i think it is is because they have made a promise to keep the company running independently keep it headquartered in in cambridge not change its existing uh you know product pipeline or anything like that simply to give it a lot of money in order to expand and to go into new areas, which maybe it wouldn't have been able to do just on its own or, or not certainly as quickly or as competitively. So I think that overall it is it is good. I mean, it's better for somebody like SoftBank than for you know another company. I mean, a company like Qualcomm, for example, it would be difficult because you know they're a they're a client of of them, and they. Can... I doubt they'd be allowed to be honest. Well, this is the problem: is that there's this regulatory hurdle. But the fact is that you know, companies like Qualcomm or Intel or Apple buying them, it would be different because they're, they're clients and they could, 
shut off other customers from doing business with them and therefore that will be really bad for the market but arm is kind of unique in the fact that all of these companies are competitors with each other but they're all clients of arm so for softbank to take them over it's actually nowhere near as damaging as say intel or or apple i mean if apple bought arm and apple uses arms designs in its in its iphones and tablets and stuff and there've been rumors for ages that they're going to run a a mac a future mac off an arm based design even though we saw it with PA Semi, which was a chip designer that could have been a kind of competitor to ARM in some ways. They bought that. They sort of absorbed it into the Apple ecosystem, and you never hear from them again. So it's yeah. good that that's not happening with ARM, I think. Yes, it is. And I think that any company buying ARM for that would be sort of wasting its money because I don't think – I think there are certain companies where that, where that suits it. If, if, say, PA Semi had one thing that they did very well, then it makes sense for them to get – you know, absorbed into another company, and that one thing is turned into a product line or or, or part of a product line. Obviously, with ARM, it's much more difficult to do that because it, it, it you know those designs exist in everything. Yeah, they do. We'll call it a day there talking about ARM, but I would say if anyone's interested in the history of ARM and just the history of computing in general, they have some fantastic timelines on their own website and other publications have written about them because ARM goes back to the sort of mid mid to late seventies. When uh, back to Acorn Computers days, um, Acorn was building the BBC Micro, which we talked about relatively recently that was used in schools in the 80s and 90s. They developed a uh, a processor as part of the Acorn sort of group and Apple ultimately contracted them to make designs for the Newton in the, at the beginning of the 1990s. Like there's so many companies intertwined over the last 25 years of this company from apple to bbc to sharp to all these other companies that it's just is a fascinating company to read about hopefully it will remain a fascinating company to see develop stuff i'm let sure us know, it will. let us know what you think though to the arm deal if you have any views on this and, and broadly what this means for you know british tech who's the next who's the who's the next big independent tech company in the uk probably sage or Sofas or somebody. Um, but uh, let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Later on in the program, we're going to talk about a pilot being jailed for flying drugs basically into prisons, what Amazon's doing with its prime air drones landing on street lamps potentially, and a bunch of other stuff more involving Star Trek perhaps. But first, we tease this in the intro. This is my feature from Hyper Japan, which I attended at the weekend. It's a big annual J-culture, tech, comics, manga, all sorts of weird stuff, cosplay, men dressed as schoolgirls, you name it. If it's to do with Japan culture, it's probably there. And I thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to hunt out where the tech is and where the geekiness resides. And this was what I discovered. Well, I've just arrived at Hyper Japan, already seen one man dressed in a skirt and one woman dressed as a cat. Good start to the morning. Going to go inside to see what other wonders I can lay my eyes upon. Well, I've just spied somebody exhibiting something called the Hand Droid. I'm fairly sure that I have written about the Hand Droid for Wired a couple of years ago, but nonetheless, I am going to pursue and see what the Hand Droid is all about. Uh, we are ITK Japan, and we are uh, trying to promote our Hand Droid, our robot hand. Uh, so it's a robot hand. And what exactly does the robot hand do? Um, it, it could be used in anything, really. Like it could be used for uh, as a prosthetic hand, or if you send it to the space and you remotely operate it, 
something like that. Yeah. So the idea is I'm, I'm looking at a demonstration here and you wear a glove and the glove I assume has sensors inside it and then the sensors will, in, the, the robot hand will interpret whatever movements are being made by the, yeah. uh, the real, the meat hand if you like. Yeah. Is that, that's the idea then? Yeah. Would you like to try? Uh, I'd love to have a go, yeah, I'll wait for this person to, to have a go first. Okay, well, I'm about to put on a, the prosthetic glove and control the robot hands. Very exciting. So I'm just sliding my hand here into the, the demo glove, keeping the hand open. So it's my right hand. Ah, look at that. So as I make a fist, the robot hand makes a fist. It's weirdly satisfying, isn't it? Weirdly satisfying. So each, each finger is independently controlled. Okay, well, I'm sweating inside this demo glove, so I'm going to... Did I what? See yeah. the girl dressed as a squirtle? No, but I feel I must. Just Spider-Man dressed as a schoolgirl. I'm just trying some cat ears on for the first time. Do these suit me? Uh, uh, no worries. Uh, 15 pounds. Do you have a mirror? Reflection. Mirror. I'm just going to see what this looks like a second. Sorry, don't mind me. Does it look amazing? Yes. Is it? <laughs> I'm looking in a mirror now, I can categorically agree, it does look rather lovely, it does look very nice. Hello, having my picture taken. Thank you. Excellent. Right, well I should probably buy these then I suppose. This is very exciting, I've just seen Squall and Renoa show up. Hello, I can't help but notice that you two remind me of my tattoo here. Oh my god! As are your costumes. Thank you. I'm a journalist making an audio program just about the show. I'm just okay. curious, have you been here before? Do you come here every year? This is year? our first, first time. time. Your first year. And where do you, do you guys live in London? We don't know. We came from Ireland. Uh, Ireland. Friday morning. Very, very nice. And what's the one thing you're sort of most excited about at something like this? Just the kind of difference from kind of the normal conventions, you know. It, it gives you more of a taste of Japanese culture, anime, cartoons, games, absolutely everything. So you get really concentrated you know, knowledge of everything from Japan. And it's a good opportunity to dress as the two greatest characters from the greatest video game ever produced in history. I, I like you already. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a remarkably fun experience, I have to say. Bumping into two people dressed very impressively in the costume Squall and Renoa, Final Fantasy VIII, game released in 1999, 2000. I wanted their picture for looking so convincingly like the characters and they wanted my picture for having a tattoo of their characters on my arm. So we embraced and we had a photo. You can't really escape the culture here. You're sort of surrounded by huge numbers of cosplayers and this sound. This is actually live. This is somebody singing live. She was the vocalist on a bunch of Studio Ghibli films, My Neighbor Totoro, things like that, doing a live performance. It's very impressive. This, of course, has absolutely nothing to do with technology. But there is something rather geekily enjoyable about watching a mother sing with her daughter the theme song that she recorded 20 years in the past. Text message, text message. Good work. We've discovered a very exciting stand here selling... Pusheen the Cat paraphernalia, and this is probably one of the most famous instances of where cute cat meets GIF image format, and there's a whole range of things with Pusheen's face on it. Just looking over the hall, can't help but notice there's a woman 
dressed as a television. Thank you. I can give you 10p if you like. Her hat okay. is, in fact, a television. Kind of like that thing out the Daft Punk video. Well, I've just found a booth here that's got these kind of virtual reality egg chairs that people are sitting in. They've got two joysticks on either side of like an armchair. They're wearing what looks like an Oculus Rift sort of headset. Um, trying to find out exactly what it is. I'm going to go and speak to somebody and find out what it is I'm looking at. What is this? It's a virtual reality simulator. So you get a 9D experience with 360 rotation goggles. So whatever you ride, games, you're in the game. Everywhere you look around, you're there. And so what, what is the headset that they're wearing? It's a D2 headset, which is attached for these machines, the simulators. So again, they're the 360 rotation and uh, attached to the simulator so you get the movement, the air, the sound at the same time. And what is the, is it a game that they're playing or something? Yeah, you get a mixture. He's playing a zombie game. And also there's a Jurassic game. So you're on a roller coaster and you're shooting dinosaurs at the same time. It's a varied range. We age from five to adults. So we've got smaller roller coasters to the larger ones and scarier. Um, so it's kind of like those things you used to see on the seaside in like a giant, like a bus shaped, a bus sized device. And like 20 people sat in it and there was a big cinema screen at the front. This is like that, but almost for a home experience. I mean, can you buy these at home? No, you can't buy them at home. But it's more of an individual experience. The cinema ones are good, but you don't get the full effect. Where with your individual ones, because you are getting the full movement rotation, you get the full experience. And what's your company called? Virtual Rider? Yes, Virtual Rider. Well, two years ago, I was asked to take Ollie Mann, veteran podcaster, answer me this, modern man, various others that we've mentioned in the past, uh, around Hyper Japan. Two years later, here we are around Hyper Japan. Ali, what was your experience like? How would you describe? The reason I wanted you to show me around Hyper Japan, as you say, we had a conversation two years ago in my garden at a house party, so that's why I know it was exactly two years ago. The reason I wanted you to show me around is because I thought you might be able to explain to me what this is all about. Um, the people dressed in costumes, the schoolgirl thing, the macaroons. I mean, that's not even Japanese. The soup, uh, the Nintendo, but no other brands thing. I was just sort of wondering if you might be able to explain that. Have and I? No, you failed spectacularly. Apart from, you know, you pointed out a few interesting things that I hadn't noticed before, like the love pillows. Yes, I did do that. It's true. So I, I'm now educated as to what they are. I'm not going to buy one, though. No, it's probably best. Well, that's going to do it from my experience here at Hyper Japan. I think the highlight has to have been the cosplay characters, particularly Cloud and Squall and Renoa from the Final Fantasy series. I'll put some photos of them on the blog at natelangson.com slash podcast. Do go and check those out if you want to see some of the pictures that I've taken during the day here. Highly advise it for next year. Probably don't need a whole day though, if I'm honest. Three hours is enough to take in the immersion that is on offer here and definitely dress up. In fact, next year I've decided I'm going to come as Dr. Robotnik from Sonic the Hedgehog because he was notable by his absence. Anyway, back to me in the studio. Well, thank you indeed, me. Thank you. What a great feature that was. Fantastic stuff. Gripping. All right, let's talk about drones, not the fantastic, nay, seminal Muse album of 2015, but Amazon's drone, Prime Air. Amazon has been granted a patent in the US that describes the company's plan to add docking stations for its drones onto buildings, power lines, well, power poles, that is, street lights, 
even mobile phone cell towers. And this could be used as a way of solving, say, battery life or charging or maybe awaiting the next deployment, possibly, or or something along those lines. And while these things are always patented well in advance of things actually coming to surface as products, it seems almost like a really good idea to do regardless of whether it's Amazon, right, Ian? What do you think to this? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, using drones and having them attached to buildings, it sounds like exactly the sort of future I want to live in. Yeah. But, it, but you know, I mean, I, I, we've got a, such a long way to go, haven't we, in terms of actually delivering any meaningful amount of weight. That's a way off. Yeah, we have. I mean, I would I would recommend looking at um, the patent drawings because it is very it is illustrative. It also kind of looks like a design, like a mock up design from a like early nineteen eighties or seventies space invader type game. Let me try and describe to you uh, the figure here. We'll link to uh, the the article here on ZDNet that that we're quoting at natelangston.com slash podcast. But it's essentially a streetlight with a very long L shape. If you imagine a street lamp to be obviously very tall but then the actual bit that comes out at a sort of a t-shape like a like gallows if you like it's quite long in this drawing and upon it is a platform and upon that are two drones side by side perched on top of it and the platform and- sits on top of the light bulb itself so exactly might have another uh, advantage would uh, reduce the upward light pollution just a uh, something to think about there that's that's also true and there are three drones pictured depending on on their sizes you know there it looks like amazon's experimenting with a number of sizes of these and i think this is interesting and here's why i think it might get even more interesting still for two reasons reason number one guess where amazon does huge amounts of its drone r&d is it in the uk cambridge oh where arm is based right that's the first thing and secondly not only is it interesting that that is happening, this is that is taking place in Cambridge, but Cambridge has a history of experimenting or at least allowing the experimentation of things on street lamps. I was looking up some past examples of this just to see if I could find any, and I did find one. I found an example of this in 2013. Whether this came to anything, I don't know. But there was a big report and a big press release put out and, and the local council made a comment on this that a company in Cambridge called CCS, which makes, I think they kind of make the, um, they deal with networking, back-end networking, you know, for things like lease lines and corporate networks rather than, you know, broadband or 4G or anything. And they got permission and funding to test pinning these kind of microwave modules not an microwave oven but microwave communications onto the side of streetlights across cambridge as a way of trialing whether this could be a viable wireless alternative to things like leased lines and microwave connections that businesses hire and universities hire and things like that so cambridge as a town has been open it seems to experimenting with dro- uh, so with things being attached to street lamps you've got Amazon that's doing a lot of its R&D out in Cambridge. And I think if this does come to something, we could very well see these docking stations taking place in Cambridge. So I'd encourage anyone who's in the area over the next few months or the next year or so, if you notice anyone building anything on a streetlight, maybe make a note of it and go back and check a few days later, because I reckon if this does come to something, it's going to come to something here. And I think that's I think that's fascinating. 
And Nate, does not is it not true to say that Philips does uh, is testing something similar with four uh, G on street lamps? They do. They make well. They make a thing called the Philips Smart Pole, and <laughs> <laughs> you're right to laugh. However, <laughs> it's much less sexy. They they partnered with Ericsson to develop a streetlight. Philips this is, which obviously is famous for light bulbs. Uh, they made a streetlight and they put Ericsson's uh, LTE tech inside it, and that's been tested on about a hundred poles around Los Angeles. Which again is interesting because the idea of using street poles as a way of amplifying networks, particularly maybe like five G signals that are much much higher frequency and therefore have difficulty traveling over very long distances. This is exactly the sort of thing that the next generation of street poles could be good for. We need them to be there because we need light. We may need them for wireless networking for 5G or even 6G stuff. And maybe this is where our future drones are going to park themselves or recharge themselves, maybe by solar power as well. I think that's great. I'm, I've never been so excited by street poles or or, or any pole. It, it is. I mean, it's I am invigorated by the very thought of street lighting now, and I never was before. Yeah. That's yeah. a gift we've given the British public, the excitement about street lighting. What a gift. What a gift. What a gift. Separately, just related to drones, I did want to touch on this. I mean, it's, a bit of a, it's on a bit of a downer, but we've actually, in the UK, had the first jail sentence handed down to somebody for flying contraband into prisons using drones. Um, this this guy was sentenced... I mean, this was inevitable, wasn't it? Well, not only was it inevitable, but it's been happening for a while. It's just he's the first one who's actually got busted for it and jailed. He's going to be going to jail for 14 months. He used a quadcopter to deliver drugs into several prison prisons in Kent, Hertfordshire, which is where I live, a couple of other places throughout April, and there were apparently some earlier attempts that failed, one of which was in Wandsworth in, in London. And the way that he did this, he took a regular quadcopter... Uh, allegedly according to court reports anyway spray painted them black put tape over all the lights so it was kind of like a nighttime drone sort of thing which i still think must be easily detectable because those things are bloody loud they are and 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 was using that to sort of um you know smuggle stuff over the fences and into into prisons which on the one hand is kind of ingenious and i think similar efforts have been made to smuggle information into north korea which shows you the um the 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 myriad ways that drones can be used to break the law but this is the first guy who's who's got in trouble and he's gonna he's going to prison for 12 months ironically the very place he was trying to help <laughs> he is now contained within well he'll have some friends inside presumably there's a write-up on Engadget UK. Of course, though, we'll have a link to this in the show notes at natelangston.com slash podcast. Well, it's time to check in with our friend over the seas, Tom Merritt, to find out what people have been missing this week on Daily Tech News Show in the wider world of global tech. Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we got the lowdown on the Juno probe from Gibbo in Australia. Talk about why online harassment isn't new, and yet we still haven't figured out what to do about it. We explored how DRM on tractors might ease your non-farming DRM issues, if it gets resolved. And we discussed responsibility in explaining to non-tech people just why software doesn't last forever with Chris Ashley. Uh, we also dug into Yahoo's upcoming sale, Buy the Numbers, with Ayaz Akhtar. All that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you, Nate. Thank you, Tom. 
Now, Ian, this next story, this final story, is tangential to tech, in my opinion, and I've always kind of been bugged how people who are into gaming assume that everyone who cares about gaming also cares about movies. Fact is, we don't. So take this with a pinch of salt. Star Trek, it's coming to the US. Is it CBS? I yes, think, CBS On Demand. This is the. I, I do think this is interesting. And to, just to pick up on what you were saying, I mean, I do realise it's not tech, but I, I do think it's a sort of, it's an industry thing and it's related very heavily to tech um, because obviously it's it's the plan is to have it on demand. So it'll be on CBS, uh, whatever their on-demand services. Um uh, but in the UK and 188 other countries, it will be on Netflix. And 24 hours after broadcast. Yeah, which isn't bad, actually. Like, I can live with that. I, I'll tell you an anecdote. Uh, back when Enterprise came out, it had been bought by Sky. Um, I, th- I believe it was Sky. It, yeah, it was. Um, and it was going to get a second run on Channel 4. But the Sky run wasn't going to happen until some six months after it had aired in the US. Now... This was back in 2005. Yeah, it, the internet was a bit slower back then. But so urgent was my desire to see Enterprise that I would have gone to any lengths. And in the end, I did manage to procure uh, certain episodes of Enterprise over the internet um, in a manner which I would describe as illicit uh, at best. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the desperation to see this new Star Trek was great. But I don't have to do that this time because within 24 hours it'll be on Netflix, which is wonderful news. And, you know, always a triumph for, uh, you know, reducing piracy when sensible ideas like this are put in place. But I think this is really interesting. Do you want another story about Star Trek that will give you some context in why this is interesting? I would love one, please. So I'm on the edge of my seat. When they, when, they, when they brought Star Trek The Next Generation to TV, it was kind of unusual in that they did a deal whereby it, it entered immediate syndication. Now, syndication usually is what happens to a show when it reaches like something like 80 episodes. So, uh, say, uh, The Big Bang Theory. So once they've got 80 in the can, which is like two or three seasons, it's then sold to smaller networks around the U.S., um, so it, it crops up on a lot of different in a lot of different places. It, it crops up on, say, your local Fox station, but it'll also crop up on, say, TBS, um, which means that you can be flicking around through lots of different networks and just see repeats of the Big Bang Theory on all sorts of different. It's very strange. But with Star Trek, what they usually what happens is it goes onto normal network TV and then it it goes into syndication afterwards. They didn't do that with Star Trek. They put it straight into syndication. So it was given the opportunity to be in different markets on different channels and they had to sort of bid for it and stuff like that. But it it was part of the reason that show was a success. Star Trek as a TV series does not tend to do brilliantly in a more, in a more normal um, sort of TV environment. So there were, you know, the, the, the shows that followed it... Uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, both did okay, uh, but then Ent- Enterprise really struggled, and it was it was only on uh, the the CBS mini network. I think it was UPN. Was it UPN? I can't remember. They changed the name of that network every few years. It's called the CW these days. But it's a it's a different model. And I think um, if we're looking for a Star Trek series to survive for a long time, which it needs to, it needs to have that seven seasons, then this could be a really good way of doing it because it's basically got a deal where it's going to be available in every country on the planet, essentially. Um, and people will be able to see it in the US, they'll be able to see it on CBS and in the rest of the world on Netflix. And the really ironic thing here is that this is one of the very few examples of a time where US Netflix 
will not have something that UK Netflix has. Because if you're in the US, you're going to need to have a CBS subscription or however that works. Yes. You can't just load it onto Netflix. It. Whereas if Which you're here shame. in the UK, you get this as part of your existing subscription to network Netflix, which is great. And I do think that if they that there's a PR opportunity for them on launch day to rename Netflix for a day to be Neelix, which is a little <laughs> joke there for Voyager fans. <laughs> no, I am a Voyager fan. Something that people think is hilarious. Indeed. Because Voyager is the sort of slightly stupid little brother, isn't it? I beg to differ, having recently Same. just watched it all the way through. I think it's probably my favourite. This, Do we know when this is going to premiere, Ian? Is it next year? Uh, yeah, uh, very early, January 2017. Fantastic. So yes, next year. Cannot wait. Well, ladies and gentle geeks, let us know what you think to this idea. Podcast at natelangson.com. Is this a model that we want to see continue for other future TV shows? The answer is yes, by the way. Yes, indeed we do. This would be fantastic. Show notes, links to everything we've talked about today, obviously, will be at natelangson.com slash podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been keeping reviews coming in on iTunes. If I can just remind you that instead of giving us any money or donations or Patreon or PayPal or anything, what we like is a review in iTunes and tell a friend, tell a colleague, and tell them how to enjoy a podcast if they've not podcasted before. Ian, I think until next week, that'll do it, won't it? Yes, it will. Toodle pip. 